speed of execution is more important than something being perfect when you're growing a business. So just get out there and do it and learn on the fly. If you're familiar with my work, you know that I used to be a leader for an Australian startup. And so I have a very special place in the in the little corner of my heart for anybody with an Australian accent. And I also have an even bigger special place in my heart for women that are starting and growing and sharing about their work in the world of entrepreneurship. And so when I was connected with Meryl of Bean Ninjas, I was like, I love this lady. She has got such a passion about the work that she does. And she is so encouraging of other entrepreneurs and other accountants and teaching and training and offering advice and resources to help them succeed and thrive. And so I was so excited to have Meryl on the podcast. I think that, you know, the Australian market is a little ahead of the curve when it comes to building, scaling virtual accounting practices. Meryl had so much insight to offer about partnerships, about starting your own venture, about scaling a company, about stepping back and delegating work to others. And I think it's such great advice and inspiration to all of you. So make sure to absorb every second of my conversation with Meryl of Bean Ninjas. Welcome everyone to the Finding Fearless podcast. I'm your host, Madeline Pratt. And today with me is Meryl Johnston. Meryl is a chartered accountant who specializes in the cloud accounting software zero. And she founded a company called Bean Ninjas in July of 2015 with only $1,000 in her pocket. And four years later, the company operates in the US, UK, and Hong Kong and has a team of over 15 people. Her firm has won a ton of awards. I'm not going to list them all here, but everything from you know the firm of the year, the bookkeeping firm of the year, the Australian Accounting Awards, zero partner of the year, um, Meryl has also been a finalist for some Entrepreneur of the Year Award. So she's just got a lot of experience running a business. And prior to her current company, Meryl ran a consulting firm. She worked for BDO and she taught at Central Queensland University, which means she's definitely a teacher at heart. So I'm really excited to welcome Meryl here to the podcast and also hopefully get her to talk about her own podcast because I know she's that got that going on. So welcome, Meryl. Thank you so much for coming on the Finding Fearless podcast. Thanks, Madeline. Great to be here. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. I feel like when we met, you, you're a bit of a kindred spirit. Um, I, I love other women who are kind of serial entrepreneurs and have lots of things going on. Um, but I want to dive in with a question that we ask everyone who comes on the podcast, which is, you know, when you look at the scope of your life, what has made you the woman that you are today? I think it's made up of a whole lot of small experiences. So I, if I look back at my life so far, I'm 35. If I look back at, at that, there's not one huge life-changing moment for me. It's just a series of small events and experiences that I think that have, have, have shaped me along the way. So if I look back to my childhood, my parents were running a small business and we were having conversations around the dinner room, the, the dining table about business and contracts negotiation. And I love that and love going along with dad to his office and to some of his site visits. Then as a teenager, I was playing a lot of sport and playing tennis competitively. And so the discipline and training around that, I think, had an impact as well as the, the competitive side, but also being part of a team. And then experiences in the workplace being a surfer, I think all of these things, you, you take something away from them and they all contribute to shaping who you are now. And then you continue to evolve as a person. And, and I'm always trying to learn and grow. 
I resonate with a lot of those things. I come from a small business family. I see myself very much as an athlete and and I think, you know, you you bring up such an incredible point which is that we're not we're not, you know, just you know, Merrill businesswomen, we're, we're, we're all these, these parts combined to make this whole diverse experience. And, and that's, you know, something really unique that you, you bring to, to your business. And, and I'm curious to, to, uh, to tell, tell me a little bit more as to like, what drove that path from moving from something like BDO or your, a different consulting firm to the business you run today. Um, was there experiences or growth or, or things that happened on the past that pushed you in the direction of your current company? There were a couple of things. So the first was a goal from when I was young that I wanted to own a business. That was always something that I wanted to do, having seen the lifestyle that my parents created and, and the control that they had over their time and, and what they did in their lives. So that's that was part of the, the reason that I wanted to run a business. And then when I was running the consulting business, there, there were a number of frustrations about that business model around things like doing project work which was difficult to build a team around and cash flow was ad hoc. It didn't seem scalable. My relationships were local. So frustrations around that was what inspired me to create Bean Ninjas, which was a bookkeeping firm using zero software, which seemed like it had the potential to scale globally and was a lot more process-based to which I could build a team around and build a brand that wasn't just Merrill Johnston. It was a standalone brand not built off my professional reputation. It was about our systems and our team and, and, and quality and the Bing Ninjas brand rather than me. So that was kind of the the story behind why Bing Ninjas started. Talk to, talk to me about that transition because I think, you know, it's something that I see, you know, a lot of I, I work with firms from all over the world and I see it as being the hardest part. It's like going from the one to the three to the five, you know, and now you're at 15. So, so talk me through what it was like to go from, you know, like you said, you know, a business that's based off of who, of you to moving to a team model. What was that transition like? Who, who were the first people you pulled in to start forming, forming a team as you built out the new company? The first people we hired were bookkeepers. But as you mentioned in the intro, my business partner and I only put in $500 each at the beginning of this business. We each had other businesses and we were doing this as a side hustle just to see it was bookkeeping a market that we wanted to be in. So we, it took us six months to actually build enough of a client base that we could afford to hire someone. So we were doing bookkeeping for six months, which was not my favorite thing to be doing when I compared that to what I could be earning if I was doing consulting work. But, but anyway, we had the end game in mind, which was creating systems and processes and, and a team. So we hired our first probably eight hires were bookkeepers, so people that could do the processing work. And we were very conscious from the beginning that we wanted to create systems so that we could deliver, regardless of who was doing the bookkeeping, the client was going to get a consistent outcome. And then from there, we gradually built a team around managing bookkeeping work and then managing onboarding, then having someone handle sales so that within about three years of the business, we had processes in place so that I wouldn't have an interaction. If a new client signed up, I might not have met them or spoken to them before. We had processes in place from the, the way a lead came in through our website all the way through to them 
signing a proposal, being onboarded, and then having that work delivered and someone doing quality assurance on that work. It's, it's, it's interesting, you know, because I think, you know, this process piece is so interesting. And I myself right now am going through a systems implementation to, to really tighten up some of the processes and quite frankly, automate more of my own business. So, so talk me through what was that, that like? Um, and because I, I, I'm thinking about timeline, you know, cloud, cloud solutions, you know, were much more established. And mo- not all of my listeners understand this, but, or, or knew this, but, you know, the cloud really, cloud accounting, in my opinion, came much out of the APAC market. And, and so cloud solutions there are a little bit ad- more advanced than what they are in the US. I like to think of that market being about three years ahead of North America. Um, and so, you know, you had a, established solutions in the space in 2015, but you still have to, you know, pick and choose what solutions you're going to power your practice with. You've still got to put them in a workflow situation and, and define the processes. What was that like? And, you know, just just tell me more about that, because I, I think that's one of the biggest foundational things to running a firm is really having the right set of solutions and the workflow in place. It's something that we did. We tweaked along the way. So we decided up front that we wanted to specialize in zero. And we knew that we were going to be working with small business clients and that they were going to be with their digital businesses. So they were quite tech savvy. And we did some initial testing. It would have been, well, must, more than four years ago now of the of QuickBooks MYOB, which is big in Australia and Zero. And we decided that Zero was the, the best tool for, for most of the market that we were going after. It's not always going to be the right fit, but we wanted to pick one piece of software so we could be specialists in that and all of our workflows related to that. And then we gradually built expertise in different add-ons. So we use all of our clients also have a HubDoc account. We provide that as part of their subscription. And so, and there's a number of other zero add-ons that we use depending on the industry. For example, our e-commerce clients might use Shopify and we might use A2X if they're selling on Amazon to bring that data into zero. But we figured that out depending on the industry and we were trying not to be in too many industries but but that took it we didn't figure that out in in the first year so part of it was around testing the right tools and then trying to be really streamlined so we're doing this things the same way for our customers and then documenting that into standard operating procedures and we started that again from the beginning of the business but it was only in about at about the two and a half year mark where we really sat down and and did a systems project where we process mapped a whole lot of our workflows and we recorded, we wrote a list of all of the standard operating procedures. There's more than a hundred of them in our business, created videos for them and then had them, we used an external contractor to actually turn them into written standard operating procedures and install them into a, a, a tool called Sweet Process, which is built for storing processes. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of that tool before. I'm, uh, it's, it's always exciting to hear something new. So you said it's, it's just for, for managing like the process and so that you can document it. And then I'm assuming train a team on the process. Yeah. So it could track things. You might have a policy and so you can track who's appro- who's uh, read it and accepted it, or you would have a, a step-by-step procedure and it's, it just looks nicer than a Google doc. You could do the same thing in a Google doc. It's just a bit more uh, graphically represented and you can embed things like videos in there. So we liked the layout of it and then also it had a few more features around security and teams that were a bit harder to achieve within Google. That's such a critical piece of the puzzle is, is you know, and I love hearing that, 
you know, you guys really took the time to map, you know, because that's where the efficiencies come through. But sometimes it's the hardest part is just getting it out of your brain, right? Like getting it, because especially if you're the one doing the work and suddenly you've got to teach it to other people, you got to really download that material and format it in a way that other people can understand. And um, I think having tools where it's like, yep, there's a video as well as text, as well as, you know, maybe linking out to, you know, the, comp- the, the, whatever app it is, maybe it's their, their training manuals or things like that, being able to kind of house that all in a way that's cleaner than just, you know, another Google doc, <laughs> you know, cause I think if you're somebody who works in G Suite, you're like, oh my gosh, do I have to build another Google? <laughs> I don't know. It it gets taxing, but I love hearing, you know, that, that idea of really process mapping, I think is, is something that not enough people do. And it sounds like it was super critical to your scalability. It definitely was. And I thank my audit background for that. When I was working at BDO, I was in the audit division. And so we did a lot of process mapping of finance processes. So that knowledge was actually really helpful in in mapping out a sales workflow or an onboarding workflow as well. The same principles apply. And and I'll just add to that. For me, it's just about getting started and it doesn't have to be perfect the first time you write a procedure. I think, especially as accountants, we can want to make something perfect the first time. Whereas really, as you said, it's about just getting it out of your head and then you can iterate on that and improve it. But it's better to have something there than, than something that's half finished and not usable. I, I totally, I totally resonate with that. So, so talk me through, you know, uh, you know, you, you knew that you aspired to, to create your own company and you, you really, you know, transitioned and were like, okay, I, I, I don't want the company to be me. And I think that's a really important thing to consider, especially in our current era, which I think is very, um, Largely, I'm going to pick on social media here, but I think it's because, you know, there's so much obsession with like this self-promotion or like influencers or, um, you know, just social media, right? Where it's just like regurgitating our, our personal life stories all the time. And so I think it's a really critical thing that a lot of business owners think about a bit more these days of like, is the business me or is the business bigger than me and involve a team, you know, am I marketing myself and my experience or am I marketing something else? You know, what made you know that it was the right move to, to market, you know, something other than just yourself and your experiences? I think I read some things around the time that we were starting Be Ninjas about running a business and being a business owner rather than creating a job for myself. And part of that was around the business name and the brand that you built. I don't think I knew that much about it at the at the beginning. So I, I'm glad that we went with a name like Being Ninjas. And then as I learned more as a business owner, that's when I really was, it firmed up my decision and made me be a lot more intentional around building the brand and not building this off the back of my personal and professional reputation. And I've since read a number of books like Built to Sell and the Traction. There's a range of different business books that I've read that they really reinforce that, that you build, you can create a job for yourself, but a business is an asset and it's not necessarily you that needs to be doing the doing work. And, and so how do you frame that up in an accounting firm? And, and that needed to be me not involved in the service delivery. And sometimes I still have a lot of relationships and, and bring in a lot of work, but the relationship doesn't necessarily need to dictate that if a client has a question that they would want to contact me because they've got a whole team of Beanages crew that can help them out. Yeah, I think that's such such a critical perspective of of having you know how knowing what are the areas that you don't want to do. Like that's where I always tell people like 
But when it's time, you know, it's time to hire when A, you can afford it, but B, when you can sit down and really clearly say, you know, these are the hats I don't want to wear anymore. And and then you write a job description around that. So it sounds like from 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 the get-go, you knew I don't want to be doing bookkeeping long term. I just want to be leading the team. Is that is that a correct assessment? It is, absolutely. From day one, the idea was that it was a scalable business model and it wouldn't be me doing any of the service delivery. And my goal was to be the CEO, so running a business. And that business happened to be a bookkeeping firm. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a different perspective. And I think it's a really powerful one because, you know, I like, like, you know, I, I'm connected to a lot of firms, you know, primarily in North America. Um, and I think that a lot of people start um, particularly bookkeeping practices around um, the mentality of their personal life rather than the professional endeavor of it. So, you know, I see people who either worked for other larger firms or um, perhaps worked as an in-house bookkeeper or accounting staff member at, at, a, at a larger company. And then they started a, a bookkeeping practice, but always kind of had a smaller vision for it because they were really starting it around the lifestyle of like, oh, I've got two kids and I need to be able to be home or I need to be more flexible in my lifestyle. And, you know, that's such a different vision than the one you came to the table with. And I just want you to speak about working from a vision like that because you you see out in the future where you're going to sit in your company and then you build in that direction. So how do you think that's really enabled you to create and shape the company you have today? I think having the, the clear vision has helped with making a lot of decisions along the way because I was optimizing for scale and optimizing to create a machine that could run mostly without me in terms of operations. And I wasn't operating, I wasn't optimizing for revenue or profit in the beginning. I was optimizing for those two things. And then revenue and profit will come later. Because if I was optimizing for revenue in the short term, then I would have been taking on much higher paid consulting work, but I would have had to be doing it. Or I would have been taking on bigger clients that required more of my involvement. And so I made conscious decisions not to do those things and to take on work that my team could deliver without me so that I could focus on scaling the business. And if I hadn't had that clear vision around scale, then I probably wouldn't have been doing those things because it would have been easier to take the money in the early years or to take the higher profits in the early years rather than reinvesting that money back in things like systems and a team and a brand. Yeah, yeah. And I think too, you know, this is not to say that you you haven't made lifestyle choices. For example, when we first connected, you know, we, we talked about the fact that you and I both have babies that are around the same age, actually. And so, you know, you've been able to build a company and from what I can see on the outside, also be able to support, you know, the life that you want to live. And, and, you know, it, I, I, from hearing your story, it sounds like that was very much a part of the plan based off of what you saw your parents do. So speak to that a little bit. What has it been like to, to have, you know, built this company and now be, um, be navigating it as also a mother running a company? It, has anything changed? Um, I, I'm not going to make assumptions. Maybe everything's <laughs> Same, but but what has changed? <laughs> a lot has changed, and I'll give you the backstory of that. Our goal when we first started uh, it was an ambitious goal that we didn't hit. But in we when we first started Be Ninjas, our goal was to be a seven figure business within two years and work less than twenty hours a week. And we didn't quite get there. And I realized it takes more than a thousand dollars of capital to to grow a business that quickly. 
But the, the goal was always partly around scale. But the other side of that that, that you mentioned that I haven't spoken to yet in, in this podcast was around lifestyle and wanting to have control over my time, the ability to work from anywhere in the world and also not having to work long hours or, or at least to have the choice on when I was working, how much I was working and what kind of work I was doing. And that was really important to me to have control over all of those things. And so Beanages was built with that in mind. I'm a surfer and I live on the Gold Coast in Australia, which has some of the best surf breaks in the world. And part of my day is having the flexibility that I can go surfing. It's just, you never know when the waves are going to be good. And so I wanted to have that, that flexibility. And now, I, as you mentioned, I've got a five-month-old daughter, Ava, and I, w- I want to be there for her. So now what's important, it's less about surfing and more about balancing the time that I'm spending working with the time that I'm there for her and involved in her life. And that means that I'm relying on my team more because I'm trying to work less hours. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a delicate dance to do, but it can, it can most definitely be done. Um, and I, and I, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of these seasons of life, right? You know, she'll get older, maybe she'll start, you know, when she starts kindy or goes to preschool or what have you, you know, then, then the focus shifts again, but there is a beauty in, um, you know, in running the business and sitting at the helm where you can, you can have that control and license to say, okay, you know, I have, I have freedom, period. And then based off of the season I am and in my life, this is what I'm doing. Hey guys, Madeline here. I just want to take a moment to interrupt this incredible conversation to tell you really quick about Learning Lab. Learning Lab is our immersive educational experience designed for ambitious entrepreneurs, people who are doers and action takers who want to change the world and build a better business. We offer online content designed for you to be able to dive in each month to a core topic. And then we add that to our member portal along with tons and tons of resources to help you on your path of entrepreneurship. If that sounds like something that would be helpful to you as you start, grow, or scale your business, head over to fearlessintraining.com slash learning lab to join us in the learning journey. I hope to see you there. Um, talk to me about business partnership. So, you know, we have some folks who come on the podcast who have business partners, others who do not. Um, but, you know, I think that picking who you partner with is such a crucial activity. And I, I want to hear, you know, the backstory to you and your business partnership. And also, how did you know that, that you were making the right choice when you picked your business partner? So this is an interesting question because I have had two business partners and one investor. So I, I started being with a co-founder. And I bought his share of Bean Ninjas after 18 months of the business. And he's a great guy and we're still in touch, still have some mutual clients. And we only figured out after we were running the business that we had different a different vision and we were in different places as well. So he had a young family. I didn't have children at the time. And so I was in a position that I could take bigger risks and wanted to grow faster than, than what he was able to and the risks that he was able to take with his personal situation. And even though we had shared values, we didn't have the same vision for the company and we had different personal situations, which actually Im- impacted the risk we could take and how much time we could spend working on beanages because we both, I remember at this time, we both had other businesses we were running as well. So that was a, a difficult process, but but ultimately beneficial that, that we went in different directions there. So 
then uh, in 2000, August 2018, Wayne, Wayne Richard came on as a business partner and he had actually worked at Benuders a couple of years prior and also had his own bookkeeping firm. He's based in Arizona. And he'd actually approached, he'd, he'd commented on a blog post, a blog post that I'd written where I was sharing our financial metrics. I used to write reports sharing what revenue, what our monthly recurring revenue was, our churn rate, our response times, the key, the key metrics that we were tracking. And, and he was really interested in how quickly we were growing and the fact that we were sharing this information publicly. And he commented on that blog post and then asked if we could have a call. And I jumped on a call with him and then he actually applied for a job at Bean Ninjas, even though he had his own bookkeeping firm. And I could have decided that it was too risky to have someone learn all of our processes while they were running their own firm. But I decided that that Wayne, again, had shared values. I could see him really working well with Bean Ninjas. And we had a conversation that if he did well, then there'd be an opportunity for partnership. And after two years, he generated yeah, great results. And so he and he came across and, and became a partner at Bean Ninjas. Mm, and then, that's that's such a, such a bold move. I mean, uh, uh, cross country is hard enough to imagine, let alone cross continent for me. That's it's pretty impressive. Did you feel like how did you know you could trust? Like how did you how did you build that relationship across you know big bodies of water and and also yeah you know how did how did you know? I think. So at the beginning, I was taking a bit of a leap of faith in in sharing all of our processes and IP with him. But I also, on the flip side, you have to take risks in, in business. And I thought it was worth taking that risk if we could find a great US partner, because that was where we saw opportunity. We were growing in Australia, but we saw opportunity in the US market and having boots on the ground and someone actually there would really help us to grow in that market. So I felt like it was worth taking that risk. I could tell, I like to think I'm a good judge of character. You never know for sure, but I, I think I, I like to think that I am. And I felt that with Wayne, that he seemed like a really decent, honest guy that who I could trust and that we had shared values. And then we built that relationship through weekly and sometimes twice a week calls over a period of two years. I, don't, I hadn't actually met him in person when we were signing all of the, the contracts. And then I flew over to and spent some time with him in Tucson, Arizona, actually to firm, yeah, to finalize the deal and actually meet him. And that was yeah, August 2018. It's 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 such a a, a wonderful story to hear because I, there's so many things I want to call out there. One was was your um, you know your your expression of the importance of the shared values and and having the conversations to identify that because I'm a big believer in you know amplifying your values whether that's through your marketing or your branding or you know just the conversations you're having with clients I, I believe in really leading with your values because that aligns us with the people we like and we understand and we aim to attract and work with and it makes us much happier when we're working with people where we share that kind of very crucial common ground. Um, the other thing though I, I loved is that you talked about trusting your instinct and trusting your ability to choose a right partner, um, you know, and and really listening to your gut. And I, I think that's that's phenomenal as well. So how is how is you know working with a US partner changed the business? How has it grown because of that? Well the US is now our biggest market. So we've gone from being a, a firm that started in Australia and only had Australian clients 
to now being in multiple markets, including the UK, US and Hong Kong. But the US is our biggest market and our fastest growing market. And it's really helpful having Wayne over there, building relationships and, and also just being in that time zone. So it's got a lot more availability to do discovery calls each week and, and be more responsive. So that's helped. And he's actually the director of operations. So all of the bookkeeping team report to him. And that's really freed me up to work on marketing, business development, our brand and speaking engagements, our podcast and things like creating an online course. So talk to me about that content work, because there are very few firms that I know of these days who are who are creating and, and distributing online content. So what kind of content have you created this far? What is the content you aim to create? I know before this call, you were recording content to tell me all about this amazing work you're doing with the podcast and, and your courses. Four, four and a half years ago, I'd never even heard of what content marketing was. And I'd never written a blog post until the week that Binion just launched. And we, we launched in a week. We followed a methodology called the seven-day startup and got our first customer in, in that week. And, and part of that methodology was also about figuring out marketing channels. And, and the marketing channel that the author of that book used was content marketing. So we wrote our first blog post that week. And I looked back at that and it was terrible and I'm embarrassed. <laughs> but, but it's all about getting started. And so I wrote regular content from, from then. So regular blog posts on the Bean Ninjas website about accounting topics, about business topics. That was where I was writing out income reports and sharing what we were learning. And then it really evolved from there. I, I, after a year or two, I found that I actually enjoyed it. I had a coach, a, a writing coach, help me improve my storytelling and, and the, also the strategy behind the, the types of content we were creating, the keywords we were targeting. And that evolved into a much bigger content strategy. And now some of our, or a number of our leads each week are generated through searches on Google. And so the effort that we put into content over a period of four years is starting to pay off with, with leads coming in. But it, it, there's, a, there's a lot, it takes a long time to get to that point. And in the early stages, before we were directly generating leads, it was more about building our brand and building trust and, and doing something a bit different to, to what other accountants and bookkeepers were doing. So at the moment, our content strategy is partly blog posts. We have a weekly podcast, which is business related. So we interview other business owners, being just clients. And there's a finance twist as well, where we ask some financial freedom style questions. And then we also spend quite a lot of time on social media and LinkedIn and Facebook are our main channels. And then we do a little bit on Twitter and Instagram, but we're not as active there. And the final component of that is around courses. And I'm a huge believer in education. As you mentioned, I used to teach accounting at university. And my first business was actually coaching tennis. So I love teaching. And I think teaching is a, a really great form of marketing too. We're trying to provide value in all of the content that we create and value that's specific to the type of clients that we want to work with, but also a, a bit broader than that too. And so recently we've published two courses. One's a financial systems course, which is all about getting started with zero, getting your finance standard operating procedures in place. And then the other ones on financial reporting, which is to help business owners and their team actually dig into their numbers and understand them and, and look at where they're making a profit or where they're not and how to do things like cash flow forecasts. 
That kind of content is so powerful. And I think there's a huge, huge swath of market potential because as consumers are getting more and more used to online content and online education, there's still a huge gap. I haven't seen a lot of stuff produced in the accounting space. And and quite frankly, you know, there is a tier of, of business, you know, it's the person who's running, you know, a solopreneur situation or a side hustle where they're just getting started. And usually, you know, these are the people who, because they're not generating revenue, you know, are basically DIYing or not even doing bookkeeping. And then they're the client that comes to you and is like, so I have this random Excel file, or I have like, all of these receipts, but no actual accounting or just, I have a file, but it is a nightmare. And I think that there's so much potential in what I consider like the pre-accounting category, where you can give clients just enough education and resources they need to be proficient, you know, so that when they come to you, there's not cleanup work to be had, or maybe there is, but it's, it's much less. And instead you're really focusing on, on just, you know, building out and, and truly outsourcing the work. Is that kind of your vision for this content is to, is to teach people up, you know, upstream so that when they, they can grow to the point of, of, you know, really outsourcing the work to somebody like Bean Ninjas or another professional? That's part of it. We, we noticed with our pricing plans that in order for someone to afford our first package, they've often been in business for a couple of years but they need to do bookkeeping from day one. So there was a gap between people that were contacting us who wanted our services and then the people that could afford them. And so the course is partly to fill that gap, to teach people how to do their own bookkeeping for that period. And then after they've listened to many hours of videos with my voice, then hopefully they feel like they can trust that we know what we're doing and that we're implementing a lot of the things that we're teaching if we're doing bookkeeping for our clients. So that's part of it, the, the trust building exercise and the idea that someone might become a client. We also want all of our clients to go through the course, the course because by teaching what bookkeeping is all about, it means that they might value the work that we're doing more. And then the other piece is that we really believe in financial literacy. So we don't believe in a client sending over their their books to us or they're giving us zero access and then that's it. That that It doesn't end there for them. That, that's not all they need to do. They need to understand their own numbers and they're ultimately responsible for the accounting department in their business. And so they really need to, to be aware of their responsibilities, to, to know the numbers in their business, to know what questions to ask and to, to build their accounting team so that they're working with the right tax accountant, the right virtual CFO, the right bookkeeper. And it's hard to hire a great team if you don't know what you're looking for and how to assess their work. So we're really big on financial literacy too and, and passing that knowledge on to our clients or, or future clients and even just business owners generally. It doesn't matter if they're a client or not. I love that. I love that because I think there's a really important layer of reciprocity you're putting out into the world. And and I believe that, you know, these kind of activities they really come back and they come back in ways that you don't expect them, right? You know, somebody can go out and who knows that you, they get their hands on your course now. And like you said, that trust factor of like, you know, they, they handle it and they work on it and they grow, you know, to a certain degree. And then maybe it's two, three years down the line and they're like, oh, I really, you know, I should or I could, I would like to to, to pass this off. And, you know, they've built trust, you know, and, and learn from you. And, and I think that there's so much to be had in the space of content education, when you're just creating things that are really designed to help people, it's it's a filter that we use inside of our company is like before we we embark on creating anything, it's like, does this actually help anyone? 
yeah. you know, and if the answer is no, then it doesn't need to be created. It just doesn't, you know, there's so much content out there to begin with and content for just content sake or content that just makes more noise, um, begets, it becomes annoying, you know, and, and if it doesn't really have value, um, people are going to start reading your content and just say, oh, this is fluff. And so the next time you put out another newsletter or another piece of information, you know, it, if it, you know, the past one was garbage, they're going to assume, you know, that it's, that it's not of the same quality. So, so talk to me about this, you know, particularly from the marketing perspective, as it, from what I can tell you guys are doing more than most firms are. So how, you know, how you talked about, you know, you've got the, the, the blog content, obviously you've got the, the podcast, you know, talk to me about the full scope of, of marketing that you guys are doing both digitally and on social, but as well as, you know, in-person activities and things of that nature. So as well as the content creation and then social media, I didn't mention our email list. So we do have a strategy of having people opt in to different resources on our website to then come onto our email list. And then we have a newsletter, but also our podcast and, and some other campaigns there. But again, that monthly newsletter is educational. We do... We are built as a remote business, so we're all spread out all over the world and our clients are as well. But we do, from time to time, try and meet clients in person and that's often at conferences. For example, we sponsor, we have in the past sponsored a conference in Bangkok and we hosted a, a VIP drinks night just prior to that event with about 20 of our clients last year. And so we do try and meet our clients in person and, and, and host them where we can. But it is a bit difficult because they're, they're spread out all around the place. We, we don't generally meet or spend time in person. We, we also, I mentioned a little bit about speaking. So I speak at conferences, but also run workshops at different business groups and co-working spaces. And again, they're educational and trying to provide value and helpful content. But again, those all can lead to relationships. We also build relationships with other people. So referral kind of relationships with, with people who have a similar client base to us and, again, try and help them and, and they try and do something back for us. But I'd say they're, they're our main channel. So it's the, the digital channels around content creation and, and promoting that. It's going to regular – we go to regular events where our clients hang out. So conferences for digital marketers, for example. You might not see many accountants there, but we know that our clients are at those events and so it would make sense to be at that event, have a booth at the event or, or to try and speak at that event. It's so smart. I mean, I, I want to bottle you up and like put you in front of the people I work with because <laughs> these are <laughs> these are all the things. These are all the things that, you know, if you're somebody listening to this and you're not doing this and you're like, I don't understand marketing. These are all, these are all marketing activities. And I'm not saying you have to do every single one of them, but, you know, hang out where your clients are, whether that's a place online, like that filter is great. Like if all your clients are on LinkedIn, don't be wasting your time on Twitter, hang out where your clients are, whether it's an event, you know, an activity, you know, a network, something like that. Um, you know, also this, the other filter I kept hearing you say, you know, help people, help people, help people, <laughs> you know, put, putting out things in the world that are helpful and that are useful um, is so different than just, you know, spammy marketing, um, which I think, you know, with funnels being all the rage these days, unfortunately, too many people are just trying to send constant things and not really considering, you know, is this of value? Is this, you know, helping the individual that, that we're aiming to connect with? 
Um, I love hearing, hearing a firm that's doing so much in the marketing space and you guys have to, right? You know, because if you aim to attract clients that play in this space, you want to impress them and, and show that they're, you're on, on their level. And I've got to imagine that's, you know, something that makes you stand out to, to clients, particularly in the digital marketing space is, is the way you guys look and operate. Um, would, would you say that that is true that like, you know, you've been able to attract a caliber of clients because the way you guys have, have marketed your practice? I think so. It feels like we're on a similar level. So we could have, we, we do work with a lot of marketing agencies or an SEO agency or Facebook ads. And so the fact that we can have conversations about those things and we can speak the same language and then and when it comes to their bookkeeping as well, we know what a lot of these transactions are. It means we can communicate on the same level. And then I think it does give us credibility if they come to our website and it, it feels like the kind of website, yeah, they don't look at it and go, oh, that looks like it was from 20 years ago. And, and then maybe they're still using accounting technology from 20 years ago as well. It, so I think that it definitely helps one at a relationship level that we can, <clears throat> we can speak the same language. And then the other that it looks like if we're doing our marketing well, then that would be secondary to having good internal processes to deliver bookkeeping. So surely we're doing that part well too. Yeah, I think that's so key just being able to show look we're 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 playing at the same level you know we understand your your needs or or your your business model and i think that you know too many people um too many people are are afraid to go niche like i think too many people are afraid to to focus and specialize and i think it's really important to to align with at least you know a, a type of ideal client and i don't necessarily mean um, an industry, for example, you know, creatives are not an industry, <laughs> you know, creatives are a, a type of person. And so, you know, talk to me about the process of really distilling down who your ideal clients are. What, what did that look like? And did you guys start by, you know, focusing on a type of client or did you just kind of take everybody and then you distilled down over time? At the beginning, we took everybody. We, we didn't know enough to, know who our ideal client was. So we, we had all kinds of businesses. We had sign writers, we had plumbers, we had hospitality businesses, as well as the digital agencies, e-commerce. And we realized a couple of things when we were working with all of those different clients. One was that it was too hard for us to learn all of the add-ons to provide a great experience for all of those industries. So we needed to get more narrow. We realized that some clients were tech savvy and were much easier to work with and took less time. And some clients wanted to call us regularly if they couldn't log into their software or something like that. And, and we realized they weren't the right clients for the model that we wanted, which was to have a, a remote team and not have set office hours and not have a phone number. Rather, clients can schedule a call by booking a meeting. And that was the model that we wanted to run for our team to have flexibility in their lives and not have to be available to answer phone calls during business hours. So that was part of it. We also were tracking profitability, job profitability from day one so we could assess who our most profitable customers were. And then we also looked at who do we like working with? Who, who do we enjoy talking to? Who val And also on the other side of that, who values the work that we were doing? And so we looked at all of that and then realized it was digital businesses or people that were even we still have clients like a brewery, but they run the business like a startup. It's high growth. They're, they're using technology really well. They are open to our suggestions and changing and moving quickly. And so we realized they were the kind of businesses that we wanted to work with. And then we, we didn't pick one industry specialization, but we, we've got a couple. 
So we've got e-commerce and then I've mentioned the digital agencies, bloggers and coaches and consultants. So they're kind of the main areas that we concentrate on and we create different content for those different markets. So we might write a blog post that's specific for e-commerce businesses about the best 10 tools that can that you can use as an e-commerce store owner that connect to zero. Or for coaches, we might write an article that's specific for coaches. And so that's how we're, how we're able to target different market segments, but still serving a broad range. If you know me and my work, you know that I am super passionate about creating spaces for women to talk open and honestly about money. So it's no surprise that last year we launched a community called Women Talk Money. What Women Talk Money is, is a place for women to connect with industry opportunities and each other. And currently we do that in two core ways. We've got an online speaking directory designed for women that are wanting to share their voices and stories with the wider accounting and finance profession. And we also have a community. It's called the Women Talk Money community where women can join to get access to ongoing resources and coaching conversations to help them thrive in their path as a female business owner. Now, if that's something you want to be a part of, head over to womentalkmoney.com. Just remember that women is spelled with an X. You know, I, I love this process of refinement and I've got to imagine now, you know, that you've had the conversations of you know, what are these people have in common? What, you know, what do we like? What, you know, okay, they're tech forward. Okay, they respect us. You know, okay, they see us as a go-to resource for insight. You know, all those things help in the qualifying of, of an ideal client. And, and you know, one thing that I wanted to speak about kind of in that line of, of, of really seeing, okay, is, is this client as a fit? is um, if they look to you for advice, you know, because that's really when you have the opportunity to build a trusted relationship and, and, you know, being a primary person who the client seeks out is, is, you know, great from a service perspective as well. But, but, you know, advisory in the term of becoming a trusted advisor, this is like all the rage in the accounting space these days. And, I, I have found in my conversations with firms that advisory is something different to everybody. So I'm curious to know in your, your model, you know, which was originally focused around scalable bookkeeping, how does advisory factor in and what does advisory look like in your practice? That's a really interesting question because our business model was built off the back of the productized service business model, which, which in, accounting, in the accounting world is probably called fixed fee pricing. But we, we only had three packages that someone could choose from and that was what we delivered. And so advisory didn't necessarily fit into that. And I could do advisory, but my role in the business is not to be delivering a paid service to clients. My role is to scale up a global business. And so I shouldn't be involved in the, the delivery of advisory. So that, that posed a challenge to us because the term advisory is all the rage in the accounting industry, but it didn't fit our model of bookkeeping services. So Wayne, my business partner, and I sat back and thought thought about that and then thought about, well, bookkeeping is probably going to be automated at, at some point. A lot of it is already moving in that direction. So we need to move up the level in terms of the type of work that we're doing. But do we want, <clears throat> do we want to be advisors? And so the way that we've been testing this is we've started to offer dashboard reporting and cash flow forecasting. And that my business partner, Wayne, comes from the management accounting background. So he already had 10 plus years of experience doing that. 
at a corporate level. So he has that skill set. And so that's something that he's been building out. So off the back of good bookkeeping, you can start to dig into the numbers. You can start to build dashboards around KPIs and then have conversations and tell the story behind those numbers and also start to forecast. So help clients build cash flow forecasts. So that's where we've moved into the advisory space. But we haven't done it on that consulting style where we sit with a client, talk with them to understand what their problem is and build a solution. We've kind of reverse engineered it. We've built the solution. It costs this much to have a cash flow forecast built and it costs this much to have dashboard reporting plus a call with the advisor. And so that's where we're at at the moment where we're trying to fit it into our productized service model. Um, and that's still a work in progress. We're, we're still trying to figure out the best way to do that. But I do see that definitely we need to be adding something on to the top of bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's such an important conversation. And I think there's a lot of firms considering right now as as that automation arises, you know, what happens? What happens to the bookkeeping line of service? And I, I think one of the things that you've distilled down here is the importance of picking a platform, you know, p- picking, you know, okay, what do we aim to offer advisor around? Is it cash flow? You know, is it, you know, their KPIs and their performance metrics and, or is it, you know, benchmarking them against their peers? What are the things that we aim to offer in that conversation with the client? And then picking a platform that, that aligns well with it, quite frankly, because, um, you know, then that becomes scalable. You're not having to do these things manually. Um, so it sounds like, you know, again, you're approaching this with such a scalable, um, thought process. So, you know, talk to me about that scalability mindset. How do you look at the things that you're considering bringing on into the business through that lens of scalability to ensure that you're able to continue to grow the company in the way that you've envisioned? I think there's there's two phases. So one is testing something. And I think often that needs to be the entrepreneur or the founder, because we've got to different understanding of the market and our customers and the problem that we're solving. And so we need to do enough experimentation to learn something. But the other is that lens of scalability. So we could do advice, I could do advisory and and that would play nicely into my skill set around being an accountant, but also being an entrepreneur. And and those two two things play well together in terms of advising other business owners. But and that would help us with short term cash flow and revenue. But is, is my knowledge scalable? Well, only if it's done, it's not really scalable in a one-to-one advisory meeting. And so that's the kind of thought process I go through. And with my business partner, he, he has that same kind of mindset. And at the moment, so this year, he's been delivering it because he needs to figure out, well, how much do we charge? How do we structure these meetings? How many meetings do you need to develop a cash flow forecast? What do you introduce at each point? What do our customers value? And so all of that testing doesn't need to be scalable. That's all just learning. And and I think that needs to be the founder or someone who's senior in the business doing that kind of work. But the goal is once we've got all of that figured out, then someone else in the business, we, we would either hire someone new if we don't have the right skill set, or we would develop someone internally to then run that process and continue to refine it. It makes a ton of sense to me. And I think it's such an important, you know, lens to have if, if your vision is for, for, you know, building a company of the nature that, that you have, you know, for being ninjas, you know, is this, you know, you don't aspire to be of small size. You really do want to want to grow. Do you, you know, in your long-term vision for the company, um, and I'm going to weave two questions in here <laughs> together, so we'll see how this goes. But, you know, with that long-term ver- vision, 
one, how do you continue to, to, to project out in the future? How do you and your business partner continue to, you know, create a vision that, that evolves as the business grows and set that new kind of forward motion? And then also in the vision for the next three years, you know, what are the goals that you two have defined together? So we have what we call the, the BHAG, the big hairy audacious goal. And that's around being world leaders around the bookkeeping, but also the financial education space. And so that's just a, a big goal. It's even, we haven't even defined it specifically, but it's about pushing ourselves to, to really be leaders in this field. Then for, for three years, we have things like revenue targets. I mean, we're, so I talked earlier in the podcast about initially our goal was around scale and, and build and systemizing everything. And so we're at a pretty good point with that. And so next, it, we're really concentrating on growth, but I'm always mindful and most accountants would be that you want to make a profit and you want a cash flow positive business. And so we're not trying to grow to at the, and sacrifice profit. So we're trying to maximize profit but, and grow as well. But so not grow so fast that it impacts the bottom line. So that's what we're focused on at the moment <clears throat> is growing, but also building a team and, and culture. So as our, as our team grows, then it gets harder to to manage that culture and build that culture remotely. And so one of our goals for the next three years is to have a whole team retreat where we bring everyone together from all of the different countries and actually spend time together working on things like business planning, but also just having fun. So that's an example of one of the things that's in the the three-year and hopefully in the one-year roadmap. I probably mentioned part of it is also evolving the business and diversifying. So we want to have different revenue streams. And part of that is me building courses and Wayne focusing on advisory. And there's other products that we're looking to add on. But again, we're, we're conscious of not trying to test too many things at once because it, it takes money to test something and then scale it until it's profitable. But that's something that we're considering as well is, is do we bring, do we really try and scale payroll or do we really try and scale accounts payable or are there other sales tax? Are, are there other things that we, other services that we could productize? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. Well, well, my my last, my closing question I want to ask you, Meryl, because you've just had like such great, profound, you know, business building wisdom to offer today is, you know, what advice would you have to offer a young entrepreneur who's just starting out? And this is not necessarily somebody in the bookkeeping and accounting space. This is anyone who's really aspiring to start a company. You know, maybe it's if you could go back in, in, in you know, a time warp machine and go to your earlier you who knew she wanted to start a company, you know, what, what would be the advice that you would offer her? It would be to get started today and to not be a perfectionist. So speed of execution is more important than something being perfect when you're growing a business. And I would read The 7-Day Startup, which is the book that I read, which is about getting started quickly and then iterating as you go rather than spending years writing a business plan that then becomes irrelevant two weeks later as you learn more about your market. So just get out there and do it and learn on the fly. I love that. I love that. You know, and I think that's the thing is that, you know, we can analyze and and be kind of, you know, paralyzed. But if we take action, you know, things are going to start happening that much sooner. So I, I definitely believe that if you have that entrepreneurial itch, it's not something that's going to be pacified until you put it into motion, for sure. 
Well, thank you, Meryl, so much for coming on the podcast today. I loved the conversation. I loved hearing all about your growth with Be Ninjas. Um, Can you just share one last thing with us, which is, you know, if folks want to find you, follow you, read the content you're creating, listen to your podcast, what are all the ways that people can be connecting with you? The first would be to head over to our website, which is B-E-A-N, ninjas.com. And there's a link to our blog and also our podcast there. And I'm quite active on LinkedIn. So also feel free to connect with me there. And that's just mine if you search Meryl Johnston. What an incredible conversation with Meryl. I hope you are leaving just like tingling with inspiration. It's so awesome to just hear other women talk about their companies in such a clear and unapologetic way. And I think Meryl is just somebody who embraces what it means to be a woman in business. If you want to hear more stories that include Meryl, check out her podcast. It's called the Bean Ninjas Podcast. And she has a lot of insights to share, particularly around topics related to business. So she talks about, you know, being a business partner. She talks about, you know, what are the ways to launch a side hustle? She talks about behind the scenes and of certain company models. So she's interviewing lots of incredible people and it's great content to check out. And of course, also, if you love this episode of our podcast, we would love it if you pass this on to find somebody you know who'd be inspired by Meryl's stories. Take it, share it, post it on social media, tag me in it at Madeline K. Pratt. Tell me that you love this episode. And of course, leave us a review. Reviews are the way that we get into the hands of more people. It also lets our team know that we're doing great work. And it means so much to have you here. So thank you so much for stopping by and spreading the word about the Finding Fearless podcast. Mm-hmm.